0: and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. So we're in the second week, the second week of our series called Outlasters. And so last week, we talked about how what we can do in our current life will outlive us, right? Now, I can remember a day in time when the things that would outlive me were not good things. The things people would say of me were not good things. The, the, the legacy I would leave behind wasn't Christ-centered. It, 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 I can remember that time. And some of you are in that time currently. like if you died today, what would outlive you? And, and so we talked we started this discussion last week, and, and we want to talk about how what we can give God will outlive us. And uh, we read out of psalms, and today what I want to talk about is financially free families. And the church said, Amen. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not taking up another offering. I don't need your money. But what I am after, and honestly what God's after today, is your freedom and your liberation. Um, I, I, I know I'm probably not the only person in this room who has at times felt chained by my financial situation. And, and honestly, your heart may have desired to do more, but you could not because you were broke, living beyond your means, whatever it may have been. Um, and I talked to you last week about that single wide trailer I grew up in. All right? We couldn't do much outside of that. Um, we lived in Charles City on seven acres, and we barely made ends meet. And I didn't do anything. I say we, my parents. Uh, my mom and dad. Um, but they didn't work big jobs. You know, my mom worked for the state and my dad worked for the city of Richmond. Uh, ever heard of RRHA, Richmond Redevelopment Housing Authority? That's, that's where my dad worked. He didn't make much money. Um, and so I grew up not kind of chained to the financial situation. And I want to talk this morning, and, and I know for me, I was... I was that dad. Everybody say that dad I was that dad um, when I first got married, you know me and my wife we didn't have a whole lot we We had a seven hundred square foot house and and a lot of love, you know, which was good because we didn't have much money um, anybody been there? yeah, a lot of love, not a lot of money okay um, and as time went on, and I pursued, and I was working, I was working hard, and, and, and made more money, and so then, we were making lots of money. Then we had Macy, and then all of a sudden, we had less money. Anybody know what that's like? Let me, let me put it to you this way. Before I met my wife, I probably had the most money that I've ever had. What? Is that not okay to say? I love you, baby. I do. Um... We often say, when we're talking about our budget and our finances, how many love finance conversations? Anybody? Yeah. Some of us do. Most of us avoid it like the plague, right? So when we're making cuts in the budget, obviously you want to cut, you know, what's, what's costing us the most money? And, um, you know, I, I, if, I, if I cut what was costing me the most money, I'd have to kick my wife and child out. For my freedom. But that would be frowned upon. Okay? It would be frowned upon. No, I'm, I'm saying this jokingly. Um, but because I grew up with nothing. Oh, what a blessing. You know what? Look at this guy. Thank you. I didn't even ask for that. The... uh I didn't take this gum out. I can see my wife cussing at me now. I'm kidding. My wife doesn't cuss. (laughs) Sorry. So our story is one where I grew up with nothing. And so when my wife wanted something, what what do you do when you're in love? Yeah, you can have it, baby. We'll figure it out. And it's the same way with my daughter. Daddy, I want this. Can I have this? Absolutely. Daddy will figure it out. I'm going to make it happen for you. I was that dad. And what it created was within my family a financial situation where they were getting everything they wanted, but we had no savings. We weren't making our bills. You You get the picture? Is it okay to talk like this? Is that all right? Because maybe you don't live this way. Maybe you just, you're rolling in it. And if you are, um, just write a check out to Transformation Church. Um, (laughs) But what I realized was happening is I would take my daughter out and she would have an expectation now. I built an expectation with my wife and my child that they'd get whatever they want no matter the cost, no matter what it might ripple into. Yeah. Now, if you have the money, that's fine. But if you don't, well, what it created was just a stress in our finances. You know what the number one reason for divorce in, a, in the North America is? Finances. Number one reason for divorce. Families that are broke and strapped, and that's all they fuss about, and the Bible has something to say for it. And, and, and honestly, and I say this often when I talk about God and money, He's not after your money because He has plenty. He's after your obedience and your freedom. That's what He's after. Now, I, the reason I intro this way is because I, I listened to a radio show, um, uh, Financial Peace University. What's that guy's name? Dave Ramsey, uh, he, has a, he has a radio show, and um, I listen to it from time to time, and what they'll have is they'll have families come on their show and talk about how these biblical principles help them out of debt. And then, so you'll, you'll hear the husband talk, you'll hear the, the wife talk, and you'll hear the, the little kids in the background shuffling around, how they went from such indebtedness and slavery to money. To freedom. And at the end of the episode, they'll, Dave does this little, this freedom yell, where they'll yell at the top of their lungs that they are debt free. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I desire to be there. I desire to be there. We're at a place in life currently where. We're just debt heavy. I mean, we have to have two cars, uh, so she can get to work, I can get to work, um, and I didn't have a spare forty thousand dollars laying around. Anybody got a spare forty? You see, quick to leave your hand down. I see it. Um, we had to buy. A house. We have to have a house to live in, right? So. Um, It's a debt-heavy portion of life. And what we're working towards and praying for and trying to allow this to help us do is to not live under the thumb of our bills. You know why? Because it's one thing that that I'm able to give my tithe. But it's something completely different if I'm able to all of a sudden pay someone else's mortgage because I'm not under the thumb of slavery. And you can be slaved. Hear me, this morning, you can be slave to your money. Yeah. And here's a, here's a good litmus test. Because you can always make more. We'll make more and more money. And, and, and the more we get, the more we need. And what? Because all, we all have these goals that we set. We're like, yeah, once I make this amount of money, I'm, that's it. I, I'm, I've made it then. And then you make that amount of money, then you're like, man, I'm falling short. I need some more money. I need some more money. It will never quench your thirst. So there are three things that we need to pass the torch. Everybody say, pass the torch. There are three things we need to pass on to our kids, pass on to the next generation. And listen to me, if you're that generation in the room, these are three things you need to pick up on. Very quickly. How many of you like money? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Money is a good thing, and it allows you to do many things in life. It's the love of money that will trip you up, and that's that's just straight from Scripture. And so the very first thing I had to figure out, and one thing I need to try and pass on to my daughter, daughters, I have another one on the way. And you need to figure out, maybe you haven't learned this, is that God owns it all. God owns it all. In Psalms 24 and verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This church, this building, these clothes, everything belongs to Him. And the, the most often time I say this, the most often that I say this is with Macy because she will grab something and she'll say, this is mine. And I said, nothing belongs to you. It belongs to me first, but ultimately it belongs to the Lord. Now you think, why would you say that to a four-year-old? Because I need her to understand that God owns it all. And honestly, we live in a kid-centric society. Right? They get everything they want. They didn't have to. And we talked about this last week a little bit too. Um, you see, I didn't. Um, my mom gave me my first car. I say gave me, it was in her name because she sold it. I remember the night I came home and she had sold it. It was gone. I came home from church. She had sold it. I was like, Mom, where's my car? Oh, I sold it. I need, I need some money. I was like, Ha <laughs> ha. Great for you. What do I do now? Um, the the next vehicle she bought me was a Ford Ranger with shotgun holes in the side of it. I'm like, Mom, where'd you find this? I know we live in the sticks, but where did you find this? The transmission. I was getting ready to leave for college. The transmission went out in it as I was going over uh, the Enon Bridge down in Chester. You know that bridge? Yeah. But God owns it all. And and. I, what I don't, and we, we say this around our house, people are like, why do you let, you you allow people to come in and out of your house, you let people use your vehicles, you, it's almost like you don't own anything, you know, because the things we take possession of, follow me, this is mine, isn't available to the Lord. You See what I'm saying? But the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof and if there's one thing that you need to figure out young people in the room if you're listening listen very closely and adults just the same god owns it all and until you grasp that whenever god requires of something of you you'll think he's robbing you of something Let me tell you something. God doesn't rob you of a thing. People uh, fight me over paying the tithe, paying that 10%. Because as a Christian, since my job came from the Lord, right, the money we have came from who? Who did it come from? The Lord. You need to start saying it. Because the temptation is to say, and look, I I was there. I've been there. I was this dad. I worked hard for this money. I'm going to spend it the way I want to spend it. but I think Scripture would bear its weight differently. And if you want to be financially free and, and, and you want to do it the right way, the Bible would tell you that the first thing you've got to change is, is, is right here. And that's that God owns it all. The second thing is this. We have to pass the torch. We have to pass on to our kids. We have to live in such a way that shows the value of work. You see it up on the screen. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be rich. Listen. By getting Macy anything she wants, this is what I tell her. You can can have whatever you want. You can have this money. You can have this toy. You can have whatever you want, and you don't have to work for it. Am I saying you shouldn't buy Christmas presents this year? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I will say this. When Macy, Macy's now at the age where me and Kirsten are starting to formulate chores. And um, and, and so instead of an allowance, we're going to give her a commission. (laughs) What? Is that okay? What? Don't look at me like that. An allowance, you get no matter what, right? You do your chores. Well, it's a weekly thing. Well, they miss some here. If she doesn't work, she doesn't get anything. Hey, I've worked that way. And I've got a good friend in here, Trey. Trey works commission too. He'll tell you. If he's not pounding the streets, he's not making money, right? If Macy's not making her bed, she's not getting a dime out of my pocket. Now listen, the value of work. And, and what that will tell her is that money comes from work. Money doesn't come from a magical tree in my back pocket, right? We live in a generation where it's it's like, and I tell you this as an employer, um, nine out of the ten Americans I would hire when I was working um, in the secular world, I worked for Class A Grounds Management in Glen Allen, and we managed commercial landscapes across all of Central Virginia. Nine out of the ten American hires I made were too lazy. They, would, they wanted $15, $20 an hour, but they didn't want to work. This is, this is an issue, because there's this concept that I, I am worth something, but I, I don't have to work for it. I should just be worthy of it. But the Bible would tell us that a, the soul of a lazy man has nothing. Has desires, but has nothing. Um, so what we have to teach them when we give them money is three things, okay? We have to teach how to spend money, Right? Because there's a wrong and right way to spend it. Um, you can spend money on, like, I, I, uh, I remember the days when I would be like, okay, hey, listen. I've got this bill, this bill, and this bill. But I've got a hot date on Friday night. It was Kirsten, so you know. So everybody knows. That was Kirsten. That's who I'm talking about. That's my wife. So I tell you what, I'm just not going to, I'll pay half, I I won't pay some of these, I'll just, I'll roll this one over a couple weeks, that way I can take her out and treat her right. Now look, it paid off in a sense, but when they shut my cell phone off, and I couldn't talk to her, anybody ever had your cell phone shut off? Oh, the wrong crowd, okay, that's fine, yeah, There's a right and wrong way to spend money. Um, uh, In the Bible, you hear this story of this master, okay? And he gives out to his servants. He's got to go out of town. He's like, I'm going to give you this much. I'm going to give you 20 bucks. I'm going to give you 40. I'm going to give you 60. One of them went and doubled the money. Now, the guy who got the least actually went and buried it. He was afraid to lose it, right? The master comes back The guy who got the most money and doubled it said, here. And the master's like, man, good job. The guy who got that $20 that buried it in the dirt, he dug it up, gave it to the master. And the master said, I'm going to take what I gave you and I'm going to give it to this guy. Right? So how you spend it matters. How you spend it matters. And what you show your kids by how you spend it is what is valuable. What do I mean by that? If I can tell you what is most valuable in your life by looking at your checking account, yeah. Everybody's uncomfortable now. It's fine. Everybody's like, oh, please don't look at my checking account. There, <laughs> there was a day in time when you'd look at my checking account and and they would want money from you, yeah. It was red and in parentheses. You know what that means. That's the bad sign. But I can show you what you value by where you... You've heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. Well, the Bible would say it this way. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. (laughs) Ha-ha. Where are you putting your time and money? It'll reflect... Where your values are. So teach them how to spend it, teach them how to save it, and teach them how to give it. If there's one thing I hope that my daughter catches is that I just, because I know that God owns it all, I'm not afraid to give it away. If it's mine, I'm afraid to give it away. Right? Because then I have to get it back. But if it belongs to God anyway, I'm okay to give it. And so if we're not passing these things on, if my, wife, if my wife and daughter aren't seeing me pay tithe, if my wife and daughter aren't seeing me bless people when they need it, if, if my wife and daughter look at how I spend money and they say all he spends money on is Bass Pro Shops. Yeah. But then when somebody's hard up and, and, and we say, hey, I'll pray for you. We have to teach them this. This is taught. You understand. There's more caught than taught. You ever heard that that phrase, right? And so when I say it's more caught than taught, it means you are being watched as a Christian, as a father, as a mother, as, as, as just a disciple of Christ. You are being watched. And I'm telling you, people will catch whatever you're dropping. So the value of work, it's important. And then the last thing, we talked about God owns it all. The value of work. And then number three, contentment is the antidote. Contentment is the antidote. First Timothy 6 and 6 says, now godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Contentment's hard to teach. Have you ever tried to teach contentment? I've tried to figure out ways to teach contentment. I'll tell you the number one reason that any debt I have incurred in life has been because I haven't been content with my current situation. Right? Unnecessary debt, I'll say that. Um, Contentment is is a tricky thing. Um, because contentment is your view of things, and I'll I'll give you a for instance. Have you ever heard of Zig Ziglar? He tells this story of uh, where where they took two young boys, a pessimist and an optimist, okay, and uh, they built these glass rooms so they could observe, and they filled them with manure. Yeah, y'all wondering where this is going. Well, let me tell you. They put that pessimistic little boy in one of those rooms full of manure. They put the optimistic boy in in the other room full of manure. And then they left him for a little while and they came back to check and see what's going on. So they walked into the room with the pessimist and kids over there just sitting in the corner crying, room full of manure. They said, "What's, what's wrong? He said, What do you mean what's wrong? Why? Well, I'm crying because you put me in this room full of junk, this room full of manure, it smells in here, and this is terrible. So they, they said, okay, make their notes. They walk into the next room and uh, into the optimist room. And the young boy is in there and he's taking the manure and he's just throwing it in the air. Big old grin across his face. He's just throwing manure. And they said, what are you doing? He said, all this manure in here, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny one. I like that one. Yeah. Contentment is your view. I have found over the years that what I used to be discontent about now, and, and, and as you get older, look, some of you can testify to this. You, you used to be discontent with certain things that now they, they don't bother you anymore. Yeah, isn't that true? But when we talk about teaching, how, 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 how am I content? How do I learn to be content? How do I teach Macy to be content? That godliness with contentment is great gain. How do you teach that? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I'm going to try. I'll tell you how I'm going to try. I'm going to try and teach her gratitude. I'm t- Gratitude's easier to teach than contentment. And gratitude will lead her there. But the fact that um, she has things, and so Kirsten and I will often point to Macy, listen, we're going to give some of your things away because look at all that you have. And look at all this person does not have. Last year, um, I told Macy um, that there's an organization with the, the Baptist Convention that will send Christmas gifts for you. So, so you, can, you can buy a pig for a family in Africa as a Christmas gift. Isn't that cool? I thought it was cool. You can buy three goats. You can buy shelter for a battered woman. You can buy that. And so what I let Macy do is I flipped through the catalog and I said, instead of getting you a Christmas gift, because you're going to get gifts anyway, I want you, instead of buying you a Christmas gift, I want you to pick something in here. I want you to give that to someone. Someone else. And so I, I forget what she picked. Some chickens. I think it was chickens. Yeah. She picked the, like 10 chickens for family abroad. And so instead of getting her this gift for Christmas, she, I said, this, You're going to get toys and, and things that you can play with. They, they just want to eat. And so I want to teach her gratitude. I want to teach her humility. I want to teach her generosity. And and the biggest thing here, when we talk about being financially free, I think if you could leave here and learn to be content, and look, it's hard to be content, especially the younger you are. It's hard to be content because everything seems so urgent, right? I gotta have this. And sometimes we do have need of things, But, but I'm hoping that while I'm letting Macy make some of these guided decisions, this is, this is a leadership thing. Listen, if, if, you're, if you ever need people to make the right decisions, right, what you do is you present them, th- but they want to make the choice, right? What you do is you present them three options that are all good decisions, and then they get to pick one. They feel like they've made a good decision. Well, that's what I'm hoping to do with Macy. I'm going to present her options on how to spend money or how to be generous, how to be content. In Deuteronomy, it says, I call heaven and earth as witness this day against you that I have set before you life and death Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Listen, you have a choice today. Um, for some of us, we, we lived in this at one time. For some of us, we live in this currently. So, so there is no judgment in this room. But I need, you to t- I need to tell you something. Something is going to outlive you. And you can choose, you can choose to leave a legacy of debt and discontentment and selfishness, or you can leave a legacy that will outlive you that is debt free, that is generous, that is full of gratitude and humility. Nobody likes to talk about money in church. You know that? Nobody likes to talk about it in church. And because nobody likes to talk about money in church, Christians can be some of the most people in debt. Did you know that? Because, and we touched on this last week, for some reason people think that uh, Jesus is after your happiness. That Jesus just wants you to be happy. And so you pursue happiness instead of the Lord, thinking that's what he's after. He's after your happiness. And so in happiness, we pursue this moving mark of happiness and end up in debt to our eyeballs. Unable to impact the kingdom. And I want different for you as your pastor. I want different for me. Is that okay to say? I went different from Macy. Coming from a life where I had nothing. We played in the dirt. That's what we played with. I didn't get cool toys for Christmas. I got socks and underwear. And now, it's interesting. This is interesting. I used to play in the dirt and get socks and underwear, and I was just bitter about it. And now at 31, that's all I want is socks and underwear. (laughs) I'm like, man, send it to me because it all goes missing at our house. I don't know. Anyway, that's a different topic. Can't find a matching sock for days in our house. And I know I wash both. I know. This is good preaching. I know y'all, y'all aren't used to that. But, but listen. God is after your freedom. Let me be very clear. God is after your freedom. Freedom for your heart. Freedom for your soul. Freedom for your social life. Freedom for your finances. And I... Just want to. I want what I what I want to outlive me today, and I want Macy and McKinley and our kids and Transformation Church. When when we're dead and gone, I want there to be a spirit here that is free financially to bless and be a blessing to those around us, and not be strapped. I want that for you. And I think if you start here, God owns it all. Work hard. Be content. Just be content. There was a day and time as I close. Um, there, there, there was a day in time as I was pursuing my career managing landscape companies. Uh, where all the guys my age... They were, they were starting families, having families. And I had lots of opportunities to uh, forsake church, put church on the back burner, put ministry on the back burner, put my family on the back burner so I could make some more money. Yep. Lots of it. I would have made a lot of money. And it was tempting. There were many a decision. I would say, "Lord, is this you?" And then I would think about it, and I would say, "But I can't go to church every Sunday because I'm going to be out of town, or, or I'm not going to see my family as much." And I would pursue and pursue and pursue money. And there came a period. There came a period where um, I had to change my friends because I had friends that I've got friends currently. They will work. They're hard workers, but they don't go to church. Matter of fact, their money is theirs because they work so hard. So they don't believe God owns it all. They believe they own it all. And not to say that making lots of money is a bad thing, but they pursue it so hard. They forsake God. They forsake their families. And so, if. I'm being just real frank with you. I make less money now than I have in many, many years since I, was like a, since I was carrying around a weed eater. Yeah. I have fewer friends now. Me and my wife just talked about this. I never saw a day where my best friends would be 60 and 70 years old when I came here. Now, all all my, the people I do life with, the people that love and care for my family, 60, 70 years old, they're my best friends. I've got some best friends that aren't, but none of us make a bunch of money. And I get to see my family a lot, a lot more than I used to. And let me tell you something. There is a peace and I can feel it in this room just talking about it. There is a peace to being content. So I often wonder when it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. There was, there was, there was many days I would not have understood that statement. But I can tell you at 30 years old, could I be making a lot of money? Absolutely. I be in bigger houses and nicer cars and more channels on the TV? Absolutely. But I have never been more content in my entire life. Man, I'm just happy with what God is doing in my family, in this church. And listen, contentment Changes the game. In a world where nobody is content. And I don't know who I'm talking to today. But listen. There's somebody here this morning that just needs to hear. Listen. Just take a deep breath. And allow godliness with contentment to be great gain for you today. You might think. And and I would have told you several years ago. That that would have been the case. That giving up money and, and different ways of living life would negatively impact me. But I'm here to tell you that that's not true. Contentment in my relationships, contentment with my money, contentment with work. Man, stop. Stop trying so hard to earn something that God gives freely. That peace, that joy. Let me tell you something about joy versus happiness. Joy carries through bad times because it tells me that there's a God that's bigger than me who sees it all and who cares for me. And that's, man, that is relieving. And so if you're here today, Luke is going to sing. We're going to pray. And I just want to speak very quickly to your discontentment. Outside of money. Where are you discontent? What in your life do you seem to wrestle with so much trying to get everything just to be right and it's just not working? You're just discontent. I want you to pray about that. I want you to ask the Lord about it because I believe that when you give that to the Lord, that contentment's going to change your world. It's going to change your feelings about life. Because look, when you're discontent, I've sat on the, on the other end of the phone with men, women, teenagers who are so discontent with their boyfriends, with their marriages, with their girlfriends. They're just discontent. They're not happy. Discontent with their jobs, discontent with how much money they make, Discont- discontent will ruin your life. It will. And what I am inviting you to is contentment. Godliness with contentment. And what, I, what it promises is great gain.